On this episode of the Bitcoin Beat, Big Brune and I are back for our first discussion in five months. The last time we talked was in August of 2022 when we were still in a bear market. However, we went through everything that happened over the last year and our takes on that past year. We get into our Bitcoin feels and we discuss a wide range of topics such as the collapse of FTX, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, the collapse of Terra Luna, and the collapse of the broader macro and crypto ecosystem. We then discuss the potential upswing from here, why we stayed in Bitcoin during this bear market, and our outlook on the future of Bitcoin and the macro environment. We hope you enjoy this episode. For more in-depth information on topics discussed, please visit our website at www.suresats.com. That's S-U-R-E-S-A-T-S.com. As well as follow us on Twitter at Suresats. We are ripping faces off right now. To be fair, since the last time we recorded an episode, we are still way lower. So much lower. Yeah, but it's been a while. Yeah, what well, I think the last one we released was August seventeenth. And then uh, Really? Yeah. It's been I just, that long. I just looked. So it's been what's that? Five months. Five months in a few days. But that's because see our new studio, which is just my dining room. If we release uh, the video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my just my dining room right now. I literally remodeled my entire house. So that's why I've with, been on a hiatus. With my dad and I. I didn't have anywhere to live. Working a job and rebuilding. I mean, there were a lot of things in Bitcoin that happened over the last five months. I mean, it's been a busy bear. We could have recorded something. There was like there was stuff to talk about. Oh, there was plenty to talk about. I was just dead to the world. Uh, <laughs> depressed in my work. I think we should since it's our first episode back in almost half a year. I guess we need a recap. Yeah, I think this is where we do we do a, a 2022 year recap? I think so. I think we should. I think we should like obviously when we started recording it was already a lot of things started happening. The first day we started this podcast was shortly after the Luna collapse. Yeah, I think that was our first episode was Luna crashes the crypto market released May 13th. So like since we started this podcast it's been no no bueno. Yeah, it's in, been in, in Bitcoin world. All out collapse. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of what I think we expected once this started to unravel. Like once Luna started to unravel, it really just kind of that was like the trigger moment for everything else once 3AC went, you know, basically Genesis and DCG have been illiquid since that moment, and they've yeah. just been lying their faces off and holding it together, just like the Fed does. You know, they're just painting a narrative, and uh, they've kept it together, I guess, that long until FTX. I don't think either of us saw the year would play <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. So I, I guess we could. I'm just, no, I'm just talking about the year. Like, do you remember where your like your head was at at the start of? January 2022. I was a fucking moon boy. Yeah. Still in January 2020. So this was after, so the peak 69K was in November. Yeah. We were in December of 2021 is when we had that huge rip down yep. to the 40K. We started writing some articles for sure stats in January. I think we were still, didn't think that this was like we were going to 
have this play out. We yeah. were at the Fed started rate hike. Yep. So we kind of expected, I think, the both of us, a leg down, but mm-hmm. or I don't want to speak for you, but I, I, no, I, I were ex- expecting a leg down probably in the beginning of the year, but that we could still rip higher. Yeah. Like we could add that double top, I think. A lot of the like, people were the super cycle, which seems the, so silly. The super cycle really got into everyone's ear. I think, I mean, if there's one lesson from this entire year is that literally no one knows what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> Some people know what they're talking about and maybe they're not listened to, but all these people that pop on Bitcoin Twitter, I don't think I I mean, there were uh, people that actuality. got it right. Yeah, for sure. There were people that got it right. I think a lot of us didn't want to listen. That's probably more. Yeah, because you get like, obviously, you get echo chamber. 2021. Yeah. 2020 to 2021. We have the massive bull run and Bitcoin Twitter was vibrant. And the loudest voices that get amplified are the bullish people yep, yep. because it makes you feel good, especially when we are running up. Mm. Everyone just kind of piles onto that narrative. And so the people that defect and, and go against that. Those voices gets get pushed down. Yeah. Or you just get the army of the, the reply guys. Yeah. Oh, bear. Yeah, oh, exactly. What a bear. There were some people that got it right, though. Yeah. I don't think we were one of those people. I think by the time we started this podcast, we could check the tape. I don't think either of us were bullish in 2022. Once we saw the Fed starting to actually hike rates. Yeah. We were getting CPI print slide through the roof still through the beginning half of 2022. Mm-hmm. Just recently, they start coming down. And when we were first writing those articles, we were just talking about another high CPI print. They missed the mark on the on the upside. So we, I guess, once we started taking them seriously, that they're actually going to go ahead and hike rates. I think both of us were wrong on how far they could take it. Yeah. So I think, I think I, I probably said that it would be around this time that the Fed would be reversing. Yes. And I think we've got a long way to go. Now you're the complete opposite. You think it could go, I, I even like the <laughs> but, last couple podcasts we recorded. So probably July and August, you were a bit of a doomer. Yeah. You were a bit of a doomer. You thought like everything was going to collapse all I was, this time. I was turning perma bear. But I mean, FTX did collapse and that was pretty big. Yeah, but I'm talking but about that overall was really, macro. Yeah, overall like, macro. Everyone be, would be out of a job already. Well, I still think that's to come. I, I don't think... So I think what did I... I think I said today when we were talking, my little potential hopium. I, I'll read it off in our little group chat we've got here. said, are we at the point where despite the bad macro environment, most of most or all the leverage and bad actors have been wiped out of the Bitcoin market. So now we're just left with the psycho hodler stackers to slowly grind the price up, even though it's not really slowly because it's just ripping. And then if it starts to decouple with equities, it pulls greed into the market again and we can kind of resume that rip up. So I, I think what I'm thinking there is that I, I think equities are lagging in this. I think equities could have another leg down. And if... We actually, if if Bitcoin and crypto in general decouple from that, I think it could start kind of weirdly pulling the money from equities where everyone's like, oh shit, fire sale in equities. Let's FOMO into Bitcoin and we could have another kind of rip up there. It's probably not healthy, but 
I don't think anything in this market is healthy. So. I don't know how I feel about that yet. That's just my my coming out of the perma bear into perma bull now. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not there. Not. We could grind yeah. sideways for a while. Like obviously, like today, we just got that rip back over 20k, 21. Yeah, from like 16 in a matter of a couple of days. Obviously, we could go higher, but like I don't think we get anywhere close to all time highs. No, uh, <clears throat> this year in 2023. Would it surprise me though? Nothing surprises me anymore because there's um, always there there's always the potential for the treasury market to seize, and then what does the fed have to do they got a reverse course and then everything is just gonna rip yeah. like so that's that's probably the only case that i would see that it could possibly happen but that was always my even through all of last year that was always my what not the only case but one of the cases for hodling all the way through ups and down is you have no idea what can happen in the overall yeah macro and just like money printer turn back on just because something breaks. And we talked about that a lot last year. We were wrong. Yeah. I think in the fact that we thought something was going to break well, I think- earlier. So like we started our podcast in April, pretty much every week that we recorded, we thought that something could, could break or would break sooner. I think towards the end of it, I was saying like, I think it could last a lot longer mm-hmm. than we both think. But yeah, we're still here. Nothing has broken. And I think... We're not the only ones that got caught off guard with how high these rates yeah. could have got. Yeah. I know we were trying to do math on like how much interest expenses the treasury would have to pay out if they continue like these rate hikes. A trillion dollar percent. Yeah, yeah. But what we, I think, missed, I'm just looking back, what we were missing was duration and how it's allocated, right? So like the longer end, they don't have to roll those over until a certain period of time. So we weren't really looking at when things had to be rolled over right? for like these expenses to start coming out. And I think if we looked at that, we would have realized that this is going to last a lot longer than we think. Yeah. And I think, of course, like we're not macro experts. So like we're, we're macro LARPers. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, we're, we're LARPers in general. Yeah, but. yeah, of course. <laughs> but, uh, Who isn't? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're just a couple of guys on Bitcoin Twitter. Yeah. But I think, the thing we didn't see that and we didn't also we fully don't understand the type of liquidity in these repo markets and these different credit markets and we that's kind of a blind spot for us right so i mean we're going off of other people's yeah word and like we're not in the weeds on looking at like order books and liquidity yeah exactly yeah, the, like, the repo market we're not order. Looking every day at like, these bond auction. Like, we we don't have a Bloomberg terminal. Exactly. So if we did, maybe we'd have predicted better. Yeah, we probably but wouldn't even know what we're looking did, at. Look at everyone else. There's so many people that got wrecked. The thing, the thing there though is like talking about we don't we don't know what liquidity is in certain markets. But if you go to the euro dollar or whatever, does anyone know? Yeah. So it's it's kind of anyone's guess. Even these people that like some of the loudest voices got wrecked. So since we last recorded, um, we had obviously the FTX collapse. But when we first recorded, we had the Luna collapse. The first episode. BlockFi is gone. You predicted that. I was big against BlockFi. Big BlockFi hater. A bunch of receipts. He's blocked. <laughs> yeah. Zach Prince blocked me immediately. Yeah. What's up, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> BlockFi. Blew up. I called that. I said Celsius. Machinsky's going to jail. 
Is he though, or is he going to get overshadowed by SBF? SBF. I, SBF. Honestly, FTX wasn't even on my radar. I had no idea what was going on. No one did through our whole. Yeah. I mean, some people did, but like I never obviously touched FTX anything. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't even I mean, know Alameda existed. Until... I mean, thank God, honestly, because they did an incredible marketing job of making themselves seem reputable just by like, I mean, the fact of the matter, like through sponsorships and just sponsoring the MLB or like sponsoring, you know, what stadium did they put their they name on? The Miami Heat. Stadium. The Miami Heat Stadium. Like it just gets your name out there and people think, oh, you know, their name is on an arena. They must be reputable. But. I did find a, a hero funny stat. It's something like this is stats going to be wrong. And I don't have, you know, a, a guy on the computer like Joe Rogan does to like look shit up for me. It's something like 60% of companies that sponsor arenas go out of business. It's something crazy. So it's, but that's apparently the move. Well, I mean, to... crypto.com was another arena that the Lakers arena. Yeah. Obviously FTX. What do they say? Fortune favors the pulled or something. Fortune favors the brave. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Matt Damon. But what did I say? I think I said earlier in the year something about how like all these athletes that have been sponsoring NFTs and shit like that, they were going to regret it, get it hit in the face. I was a little bit off because I went the NFT Avenue, but the idea was there because they just didn't understand. Thinking back about this, like I haven't thought about NFTs once (laughs) in the last like three or four months, which is so Do people still buy those? I mean, I don't. People do. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, we did talk a lot about NFTs just because it was so ridiculous. And I think we should have realized how much further we had to go when we were still seeing Seth Green, you know, buying monkeys, yeah, board apes, and we still had all that stuff in, in the summer of 2022. Like, this was still going on after, you know, we had the Luna Collapse. There was still so much yeah. froth in the system. There's really not... A lot. I mean, it's Twitter's been a little bit active today just because of what's been like going on. But if this was six months ago, it would be a madhouse on Twitter. People would be losing their minds. But I think we're maybe have found a bottom, maybe. Well, because uh, of let's think about this, right? So again, Luna collapse Mm -hmm. that brings down three eras capital. Right. Right. What was Luna? If we need to re- revisit that, it, they had the stable coin backed by, they were trying to back it by Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. So Do Kwan, who was the founder of the Luna Foundation. Is he in jail? I don't know. He is still free somewhere. Yeah. I think he was in South Korea. Yeah, I thought they, he was in South Korea. I thought they might have like extradited. Oh, they can't extradite He's still him. around. He U.S. citizen? No. I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, he's still free. That's the point. So that brought down three hours capital. Why did that bring down three hours capital? Three hours capital was Suzu and Kyle Davies. They were these pretty much, they were kind of like Twitter legends. Yeah. They were fun guys, right? They, they started this huge fund out of their garage, basically. We're dealing in billions of dollars. So people thought they were like these genius traders. And like, I just want to revisit last year. So no, run it through. So yeah, yeah. If you, if you're new, like to probably should have started with this. We can always flip it around. Yeah. So that stable coin that Do Kwan started basically went to zero for a lot of reasons because just can't have these type of these algorithmic, algorithmic stable, stable coin. coins that are back to such volatile assets such as Bitcoin. Because when Bitcoin drops 40% in a few weeks, 
your backing of a stable coin just lost its reserves. It was not truly backed. So people sold into that and it kind of was a self-fulfilling doom to zero. And so, so first off, there's people that had the collateral Luna. So it was Luna and Terra. Terra, I forgot which one was the stable coin, but Terra, UST. Luna was basically like an issuance of like equity, basically. And if you, that was the collateral, and then they were also trying to back it with Bitcoin. So it was two things. Yeah. So you were, you were swapping basically like the movements in the UST. Basically, traders could take the difference between like, uh, you know, buying a, the Terra at like 99 cents and then they can trade it back for like a yeah, dollar yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So that was kind of how it was algorithmic was that you had this arbit- arbitrage between the two that allowed these things to kind of balance itself. Bitcoin was the like safety the reserve of that. So, which makes no sense. Yeah. So the collateral is basically printed out of thin air and used to back this stable. Problem is when the collateral drops in price in a bear market, plus your reserve collateral, which is closely linked to that collateral. So Bitcoin was reserved. When it falls, your backing of the stablecoin just disappears and then people sell the whole thing. Yep. So, so I feel bad for the mom and pops that had, you know, thought it was equivalent to a dollar. Mm-hmm. They lost all their money. But there was people that also were believing in Luna because it was also like a platform, like it was a smart contracting platform, like similar to like an Ethereum, right? So people were trying to putting a lot of money in that thing and like the whole ecosystem would be something, right? Yep. Three hours capital were some of those people that were doing that. They were bought a ton of that. I, so that goes to wipes that part of their portfolio out. On top of that, the reason why they're getting into this type of trade in the beginning, they're having riskier and riskier trades. They first started out and made a ton of money over the GBTC trade. The and this GBTC is another arbitrage. Arbitrage. Arbitrage, yeah. So a lot of people are doing, a lot of big institutions are doing this this arbitrage through the bear market. So what's GBTC? It's Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, something we were talking about a lot last year. That was basically the first way that institutions or everyday people could buy custodial Bitcoin in their IRA. Similar Mm -hmm. to an ETF, it's a closed-end trust. Mm -hmm. So closed-end trust basically means Bitcoin goes into this custodian, Grayscale, and it can't leave. The only way to get this Bitcoin into the trust is not institutional investors, high net worth investors, accredited investors. Uh, uh. Accredited investors could buy shares of GBTC. And by doing so, they, they put Bitcoin into the trust and they get shares of GBTC. Right. Then after a certain period of time, those shares unlock and they could sell it to the public. When the bull market was happening and everyone wanted exposure to Bitcoin, GBTC was trading at a premium. So people were paying a certain percentage over spot Bitcoin. So let's say Bitcoin is trading at 20,000. People were get, getting the equivalent amount of shares. So everyday people, like not the accredited investors, were getting the equivalent amount of Bitcoin in shares, but at a 10% premium. Right. Okay. So how this works for the three hours capital guys who were pouring heavily into this trade where they were actually borrowing Bitcoin from everyone, from all these places, BlockFi, Voyager, Celsius. Genesis. Everyone was commingled. Yeah. Everyone that could lend coins were lending to these institutions. So they were lending to FTX and Alameda, 
and they were lending to the three hour capital boys. And so they were borrowing Bitcoin from these people, which were actually, let's say we put our Bitcoin into BlockFi. That Bitcoin was then lent to these people to then do this trade. So they would, they would put this, the, the lend Bitcoin into Grayscale, and then they would get these shares and then trade those shares for a premium, 10% premium. That's all fine and dandy they're making. Bank borrowing all this coin, just arbitraging this shit, making tens percent on repeat. This is just on repeat. But what happened is that that premium went to discount. Mm -hmm. Why did that happen? Just there was just other products available. It's it's a combination of things, right? I mean, one there's a in GBTC they charge a two percent annual fee. So right off the bat, like you're. That, why are we, am I trading, why am I buying a premium product with a two per, I'm losing 2% on top of that? So like it should, in theory, trade closer to the net asset value or NAV or below it because there is this automatic loss. Right. Not huh. only that, there was all these other products that came out. So MicroStrategy was a proxy, right? You could buy MicroStrategy, similar thing. They're holding a ton of Bitcoin. Plus there's a business on top of it. Then you also had these futures ETFs come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you also had, now you can buy Bitcoin, custodial Bitcoin in a Fidelity account in your IRA. Yeah. Then there's self-directed IRAs that started becoming more popular choice. So like naturally when all these options exist in these ways, this discount just disappeared and actually went negative. All right. So when it goes negative, that all that borrowed Bitcoin wiped out. Right, that that value that they had just completely wiped out. So then they started pouring on heavier and heavier, riskier and riskier trades to try and win it back, so they don't get liquidated. And that's so, what leads us to Luna. Yeah. So three AC, you know, trying to make a ton of money on Luna, that also collapsed. So now they start getting more loans from people, just off the rep, off their reputation. People are giving them unsecured loans just because like people thought they were geniuses. This is just three AC. Like this is happening. Not I mean, just there. This is standard Wall Street. It's all built on relationships. Yeah. So, and this is prior to everything collapsing. So yeah, so they're getting unsecured loans, and then they just kind of disappear after they collapse, and they pre- pretty much go to zero. So that sets off a cascade of everyone that lent them out money. We're talking billions of dollars. Grayscale is one of them. Alameda was also doing these things where they're getting these unsecured loans. And Alameda is a trading firm heavily associated with FTX and is a trading firm that Sam Bankman-Fried, who, if you're in 2023 listening to this, you should have heard that name by now. You probably know who he is. He basically set up the the biggest fraud that we've seen. Since Madoff. I just, I literally just watched the Netflix Madoff. It's actually awesome. I mean, it's awful. <laughs> like, and a side note from like, if you listen back to any of our episodes, which you probably don't, but I, th- <laughs> I think we like, you know, we, we make light of some of this stuff and we joke and we kind of comment on all this stuff. This is awful. I yeah, mean, yeah. a lot of people's lives have been absolutely decimated just yeah. like they were with Madoff's scheme. Yeah. I mean, tons of people died. There's a great quote. And that, and that special or that limited series on Netflix about how blue collar cl- crimes, the bodies drop before the crime, white collar c- crimes, the bodies drop after. True. And I mean, I'm sure some bodies dropped. 
because this is people's life savings got wiped out they were treating so after the three ACs collapse a lot of these ripple effects started to affect FTX and Alameda so Alameda is a trading firm that SBF started that was associated with FTX and FTX started giving them basically a revolving credit the whole thing was a fraud we don't have to go through the whole FTX thing but Alameda obviously heavily affected by this whole cascading effect that I just kind of outlined and all these unsecured loans basically going to zero. So they also started taking on riskier and riskier bets with loans based off a printed token. And basically, then they started having to gamble customer deposit. So mom and pop were depositing their money into the exchange FTX, keeping a ton of money there, using it almost like a bank account. Yeah, And then Sam Bankman-Fried was using that as his own personal bank account to go gamble on shit coins and try and make it all back. And what we saw was the beginning of a bear market. It's kind of hard to do that. So like obviously FTX imploded. All these yield generating products that were basically using customer, giving out customers Bitcoins for loans was imploded. And now we're at the point where, all right, we can rattle off some of the bodies, FTX. The, obviously the biggest one. That was the biggest one that affected the most people. Just blew up. And yeah, that's what brought huge. us down to 16, 15, 15.5. Yeah. 15, 5K. Yeah. So once they went and solved it, it was like, that was the biggest drop. Yeah. That's, I mean, like we're, we're talking about like macro before where we, we may have saw like things coming down due to rate hike starting and all this macro effect. I don't think either of us could have predicted FTX imploding. First off, it was on either of our radar. We we talked about Sam Bankman Fried a little bit. He started to buy Robinhood. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and how we were like we were he was like, getting cushy with Yeah, he's getting very with cushy Gensler. with all these regulators. We would have never predicted this. We just thought it was he was trying to make a play to kinda start dealing securities and yes, stuff like that. Yes. Cause I it seemed like it seemed like the way that things were going and the way that things might be going is that there's going to have to be regulation. Yeah. I mean, the SEC and, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, there was the the bill that came from the senator from Kansas and Elizabeth Warren, the Republican and the Democrat, they're trying yeah. to regulate. And it's just going to, it's, it's going to. And I think we saw SBF with his Robin Hood acquisition or whatever he was doing. So... In that way, maybe becoming some type of broker dealer or getting some type of license that would have been otherwise difficult to acquire to deal securities to get ahead of the fact that the SEC is going to eventually start labeling these things as securities, either through forcing the exchanges to treat them as such or the less likely scenario going through each and every coin and labeling them securities. I don't think that that's the way that they're going to go. I think it's going to be more of forcing Coinbase, Kraken, et cetera, to treat things as securities and force those companies, like the rules upon by finding them, which again, they just did. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we, we were talking about that and we thought that was his reason for all these weird things he was doing. Turns out we were. Way off base, but we had, I mean, we would, I mean, have, we ha- would have never been ha- on that track. And that's why yeah. every, it caught everyone off guard. Yeah. 
And that's kind of why we went down so low. So yeah, I think that was kind of a quick, there's a lot more that happened, right? So this thing. all starts from GBTC yes. arbitrage. And we talked about that yeah. too. We actually were going on the side, like last year, we were like, oh, Gary could have prevented all of this by just allowing a Bitcoin ETF, which is true. But now we're at the point where things are coming out about grayscale, where like, Maybe he had a good reason. I think at that point, obviously, I'm not a Gensler fan. He's with his, like, just action by enforcement. I mean, he's done literally nothing to protect retail investors. Literally he's nothing. He's opposite. actually done the opposite made it worse. Yeah. yeah. He was, he's had more meetings with SPF than any other person yeah. in crypto. So he had more meetings with the biggest fraud. And where did that get? Anyone. Nowhere. Exactly. He, could, he couldn't have put a stop to this before I mean, if, it blew up. If you look, if he knew. If you watch, I mean, you watch the Bernie Madoff series on Netflix, the SEC had like eight opportunities to stop. They had someone literally writing letters with everything that he was doing. And they sent people in to examine him. And they decided he wasn't doing anything. Yeah. wrong and they actually made it worse like i think what's crazier though is like that was in a paper error still like yeah, yeah. like computers are still new it's like how did he not know and if he did know like it's the same thing with with grayscale it's like he knew like all of this stuff mm -hmm. and that's why he put off the etf which all right maybe fair like if Grayscale was doing some shady stuff, which things are just starting to come out now about that with Gemini and the Winko Voss and like, you know, Barry. And yeah. Who I, we'll find out more in like the coming weeks, I think. They're going to have to file for bankruptcy. At some yeah. Point. But like if, if Gensler knew about this stuff, like he should have done something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than just pushing it all to gravel. Yeah. Cause it, it hurt a lot of actual people. Yeah. But like it, it's like, it's this weird thing where like the ETF would have solved all of this, mm -hmm. like nothing would have blown up, but like, that's also a hard thing to think about now that if the ETF went through, SBF would have been continuing to do what he was doing. It could get even bigger. True. You know what I mean? Same with like, he wouldn't have been insolvent. Like all this stuff wouldn't have got. It's an interesting point. So, so like, you know, he was pushing a fraud for, like, it, it's unclear as how long he was a fraud, right? Yeah. We don't know if it was at Genesis of Alameda and FTX. Obviously, we'll find out more once court stuff starts happening. But, like, he is that type of person that's willing to use customer deposits to gamble on shit coins and yeah. then not take any responsibility for it. Like, he's still going out there. And saying like, oh, like, you know, if I didn't file for bankruptcy, everyone would be solvent right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. So that's just something to think about. I haven't really no, fully I, processed how I feel about that. I um, think that's an interesting point. I, I mean, I think I think this needed to happen. You know, like, it sucks all the, the people that get hung out to dry, but... This was just an overwhelming amount of leverage and bad relationships and 
everything just needed to fall apart because it was going to eventually, right? Like at some point this had, this pyramid had to collapse and it's just how big it got. Like yeah. what, to what size was it going to get? So I think it's better that it, it, it fell sooner rather than later. You know, maybe it could have been a little sooner or someone could have stopped it, but. Well, I think, all right, so go back to Gendler. I think so much of this starts with him with like these exchanges and not giving any guidance on what's the security, what can Coinbase do, what can all the, everyone that was playing by the books yep. got screwed over. Yep. So like FTX was able to skyrocket because they were overseas and not playing by the books, right? And they were, people were incentivized to go with them because, oh, I can use this product here because it's an overseas thing. Oh, I could gamble on this stuff here because yeah. it's not regulated by the US. Or oh, we, we're just not in that gray area. Like we don't have to deal with it. So like if Gensler just upfront was, these are the rules, blah, blah, blah. Like you're safe in this jurisdiction. We'll like make sure your deposits are safe because we have rules outlined on what you yeah. can and cannot do. None of this would have happened. Yeah, and I mean in that sense. And like um I also hate doing this too because like people are like, oh you're in Bitcoin, why are you calling for regulation? It's like so I'm not calling for regulation on Bitcoin. I'm calling and I'm not even calling for him but, to like come after people. It's just like if you're going to regulate, don't be by enforcement and don't be on the people that are following your rules. Do give guidance so people can follow it and then the people that are not savvy can you know, have a safer location to start their journey on this whole thing. Yes. That's my point. No, I, I <laughs> totally agree. It's, it's that weird space of like the libertarian ideology that pushes Bitcoin, I guess. And the whole concept of human behavior and what people are going to do. And, you know, people are going to rip each other off. It's just reality. And when you have huge money players, I mean, there's going to be bad actors and they're going to do bad things. It's just literally what's going to happen. So if you have a little bit of guidance from the people that are supposed to give the guidance yeah. to say, hey, this is what you can and cannot do when you're operating within our borders, you know, it just, it just matters to, to allow things to operate in a safe, I mean, without it. Things happen like this. Um, the thing that I hate the most is just like him coming down on people that are trying to follow his arbitrary rules. And I think that's what caused, it was just a part of it, right? It's a combination of a lot of things, obviously. Yeah. And that's what got us down to 16 or 15, 15 5k. And now we're working our way back up. I think what you were saying before was you think the bottom's in. Well, no. <laughs> so I'm not going to go out on that limb and say that I think the bottom's in. I think that it could be, and especially the fact that we've we've ripped over 20. I feel like it's a it's starting to make the case that it's in, but because I do think the Fed, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that for what's been happening, I think Powell has done a pretty good job, like. Mm -hmm. I mean, did he create, did the Fed create this mess? Absolutely. But. The, In terms of like what he's actually saying and wants this soft landing. Yeah. I mean. Do you think we're getting a soft landing? 
we have so far. Do will it last? I don't know. There's this needle or this this thread that we're needling, and it's the 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 needle and the thread is inflation and employment. Can we keep these two kind of cruising along? And of course, he wants to drive unemployment. We need to. Drive. It's just how much, and we're teetering on that edge of like how much can we destroy demand and still maintain like five to six percent unemployment because we're below that right now and like three and a half percent yeah so he's still trying to drive he's still trying to put you people out of uh, out of jobs i mean literally is saying that it is literally what so you think if he does a bad job and doesn't nail his landing that we go lower I'm not, I'm not actually, I don't, you don't need to predict anything. No, I'm no, just kind I'm, of I'm just not like, trying to, I'm not trying I, to I'm predict. just going back to kind of what we were talking about before, yeah. what you were reading. It's like, so we had obviously everything from last year. We had the big implosion of FTX. That's the insolvency is what brought us down. Everyone that was for sellers has sold. Yeah. Pro, like if you haven't sold yet, like what's going to cause you to sell? Yeah. Unemployment might, yeah, right? If you, need to, if you need to sell. That's the last um, thing. But like, who does that really affect? It doesn't affect the big players, the big institutional players that we, all those people are gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the majority of the froth is lifted off the Bitcoin system or like the crypto system. So all the, the bad shit other than Genesis, but DCG, even if they were to file for bankruptcy, the trust is still the trust. So the Bitcoin ain't going anywhere. Like, yeah, exactly. So that's not really a problem. It's only a problem is, so this is kind of getting into the weeds of how the closed end fund works, but I know we're just kind of, this is like a bullshitty episode. Yeah. So if they go into bankruptcy, DCG, who is the parent company of Grayscale, they're also the parent company of Coindesk, they're also the parent company of Gemini. Does that sound familiar to anyone like, you know, in any type of Wall Street scenario that maybe they control the news? And they control the money. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but there's a few things I could do. So right now there's actually a petition by shareholders to get a new sponsor. Okay. So that that is actively happening. Oh, that right was now. that was the Winklevi trying to say that no. Barry should no longer be CEO. No. Oh wait. This is a new sponsor for Grayscale Bitcoin uh, Trust. Okay, okay. So the ones that hold the sixteen six hundred thousand Bitcoin. Right. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Right. There's actually I don't know if I believe these numbers just because it's like a sign up form. So like mm. if it's, a, it's like a Google for sign up form, but not, <laughs> not actually, it's, on, it's like a website, but still it's like, how can you trust the amount of shares people are writing that they have yeah. to sign up? But it's an, the number that has been quoted so far, and I'm not going to be hundred percent sure on this, but like, it's something like 20% of shares outstanding have said that they would welcome a new sponsor. Hmm. So what that means is. Someone else, like a Valkyrie who has experience in managing funds, right, could take over. And then if they take over, they could immediately change the, the fee structure. They could change a couple other things. So that's one thing that could play out. Another thing is, all right, DCG goes bankrupt, mm-hmm. right? And the bankrupt, they obviously don't want to get rid of GBTC. Like they, that's what that's they- That's the cash cow. Yeah, exactly. That's what they want to hold on to. 
right? Because they're making 2% in Bitcoin On terms. 600,000 plus Bitcoin. Yeah, in Bitcoin terms. They have to, they have to sell the Bitcoin as part of their thing. So like yeah. they can't just like, like hold the Bitcoin or whatever. Anyway, so yeah, they don't want to get rid of that. But if mm-hmm. they had to, like the SEC or like, right, there's, a, there's actually an active lawsuit against them too with the SEC. So not only is there bankruptcy profile, but there's also an active lawsuit. So if they had to get rid of Grayscale, the SEC could allow for redemption. Okay. So there's a few ways they can do redemption. They can do the cash value, and then the SEC would kind of control the six hundred thousand Bitcoin. That right. So people get people get cash value for their at spot at spot Bitcoin price. And then do the the SEC just hold the Bitcoin? I don't know how that works, and like who actually controls. Bitcoin, like who controls these keys? Where are they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Coinbase um, controls them, right? All right, Coinbase. Yeah. So I don't know how that whole thing plays out. I'd, that'd be a weird thing, too. The other, I guess, an idea that I've heard being thrown out there is they can allow for redemptions at the individual level. So mm-hmm. let's say I have 400 or 4,000 shares of GBTC. That would just get converted. Like, they, that would just be Bitcoin. Oh, okay. but that requires that custodian that you have your IRA with to be able to allow that. I don't see that being the route. I actually see probably at an individual level getting cash value. Yeah, it seems more like. And then Grayscale having to sell that as the ideal situation be they roll it out in like not all at once, mm-hmm. but you get the cash value at that and then they would have to sell off that Bitcoin. But yeah. that's where, where you could see 600,000 Bitcoin hit the market. But at the same time, let's say you get cash value and you're a Bitcoin or holding GBTC, like you might want to buy spot at that time. Like you're holding this for a reason, right? Yeah. But a lot of people, like we've seen recently the discount. So the discount was past 50% at one point. Where's it at now? 30 something. Yeah. I've got that. So I think once this lawsuit came out, like a lot of people are trying to play this. Mm. And it's like a few things happening at once. It's like that sponsorship thing it's like a lot of things people are starting to play it and trying to arb it back because like it's immediate return if you yeah. get redemption yeah instant 30 percent. so yeah that's where that's at hmm. but yeah like obviously if six hundred thousand bitcoin hit the market that's a lot a guy out it would bring the price down a lot yeah i mean for sure yeah but you also have I hate throwing this out there. I don't even know why I'm moving this up. You also have the Mt. Gox thing. Yeah, I was thinking about there. that. It's just always, it's always there. Like, but like, same thing. You're going to force toddlers since 2012. <laughs> it's like, you're going to get your Bitcoin and then what, immediately hit sell? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. It's like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. From a, like a logical perspective to me, but I don't know. So like you have those unlocks and those are obviously some like, Potential. Potential sell pressures. Yeah, sell pressures. But, but besides those few catalysts, like... I think the majority of it has been wiped out. Yeah. And to, to go back to, to equities, I, I think that... I think the, the pressure from the Fed is just going to be on for longer. And it's going to drive just equity values. I mean, where else... They're, they've been inflated for such a long time with like way above their earnings. So once these companies have to start to reevaluate their debt and 
refinance their debt into this higher interest rate market, you're going to start to get a wipeout of some of these companies that can't afford that. I mean, once junk bonds just start going up and they have to sell for what, 9, 10, 12% or whatever, and they just can't afford that coupon because they're companies that have not actually driven a positive cash flow ever. Those are what the zombie companies. Yeah. So once those companies start to, to fall, file for bankruptcy, I mean, does that drive the equities market, you know, the S and P down to 3,200 or whatever, 3,100 pre COVID levels. It's kind of, that's my, cause like we've seen, we've seen it happen in the crypto market. So we've seen all these companies go under that drove Bitcoin down to 15. Well, I'll just interject it real quick. Like historically we've seen crypto lead in right. both the upward and down. So, right. yeah. So that's kind of, I, I guess where I think that Bitcoin might start to pull away and start to decouple as the, the price and equities might take a turn for the worse in the next six months, just as these higher rates for a longer time start to affect these actual businesses that just can't afford. So, and then that's going to drive on a point. Yeah. It's hard for me to think decouples just cause like, yeah, I guess it's, it's not like decoupling it's and maybe, maybe it's like, just the leading and the lagging. So and, if people feel poor, like what, why would they buy? You know what I mean? Like they just lost so much value, paper value in their equity portfolio. Like yeah. most people aren't, most people are not just holding Bitcoin. No, for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, so at the same time, it doesn't take much to move a asset class that is less than a trillion. Right. Like you have one big player come in. That's all it really takes. So I think it just goes back to, to continue but, to talk about the price. But I think it goes back to if this equities, has a, this has been a price. This episode. has been a price episode, which people love. I think. <laughs> Who knows if we have any positive insight? <laughs> but I think it goes back to if equities, or with the leading and lagging, and if these companies that are zombie companies start to go out of business, drives the equity markets down, and we've already had that entire unfolding in the crypto market. So now there's not that sell pressure in the crypto market, but there's that sell pressure in the equities market. So now you're like, well, all this money is starting to get lost in the equities market. And now Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, is starting to rip. Where do I put my money? It's like, oh, well, it might start to transfer over. Okay. Or into cash or into or bonds. Treasuries <laughs> look pretty. Treasury. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but they're looking pretty juicy <laughs> you could lose you could lose only two percent of your purchasing power every year now instead of like 50 percent in a year yeah. and then like you know maybe in the next four years you get it back in. Yeah. you know this market's really only for the strong-hearted it's it's tough it's nascent it's all right let's real quick because we've been talking about pricing all this doom that's going for so long. Oh, I'm getting, I'm, I'm turning back into a yeah, bull. I'm getting <laughs> time but to like, counter trade. Right. Yeah. So I've been counter trading you this whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Bitcoin is, is, is money. It is inherent to kind of talk about this price action here, but like 
over the course of the last year, which has been a, obviously a bear market, is there anything that you, like, perspective you gained through it, just not from a price standpoint, from like, like, why are you still holding this asset that has come down 70% from the highs, like from when you started your getting in yeah, and yeah. and all this stuff. All right, we're talking about all this price and we got down to 15K. We were at 69K right before we started this podcast. It's like both of us are still here. We're recording an episode about Bitcoin. Yeah. Just because we're gamblers? I don't know. No. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I don't think my like perspective- Like we're talking about like macro markets and stuff like that. And like, obviously this is a macro asset, but it's a weird macro asset to dedicate a whole show to. Yeah. No, I I see your point there. I. For me, all right, I'll, I'll, go, th- I'll go first. Yeah, you go first. Oh, well, this is not the first bear market I, I guess I've had in Bitcoin. Yeah. But the first one I did have was deep, completely shook me out of this market. And I, it was because I was completely unaware of what I was actually holding or dealing mm-hmm. with. And I was truly was gambling in, in 2017. I didn't understand the macro, which we were just talking about a little bit. And why we t- are talking about it and like any, any, any part of that really. I just knew, you know, I knew the basics. I knew what, yeah, it's a, it's a decentralized money. Okay. What does that even mean? Right. Why yeah. does that matter? Because this whole thing, not just Gary Gensler was not the only reason this whole thing unfolded. The other main reason this whole thing in- unfolded was because you literally have a group of people that decided one day we we're just going to raise the cost of capital, all right? Just out of nowhere, they decided that, right? So it went from being incredibly cheap for me and you to get capital to start whatever we wanted. And, Basically and, cost nothing. And by that, you mean like get a mortgage yes. or take a business loan yes. or- yeah, exactly. Which was also arbitrary, right? People decided that, and then they decided to reverse that. And that caused a cascade in all assets. Once you reverse that, because the cost of capital just went through the roof. Yep. And if you are not able to service all this capital that you previously had, you get wiped out. The opposite became abundantly clear to me when I first started kind of understanding this stuff. So it was COVID time. Why the hell are markets ripping? Everyone is whole doing nothing because they made the cost of capital really cheap. Now, what most people don't realize it's actually, it's still so, so crazy to me how people don't understand money at all. The reason why I'm here. The thing that we all use every yeah. day. The reason why most people wake up every morning. Is to make money. Is to make money. And they don't yeah. understand why they're doing it. Right? So where did Bitcoin come in for me? Right? It's this fixed monetary supply. 21 million there will only ever be. And no one controls it. No one can print new money out of nowhere. No one can change the, the amount of units in the system. That's That was the first thing that got me. Yeah. And now why am I still here? Because I, all right, cool. No one cares if there's 21 million of freaking Legos, huh. like the brand new Lego set that just came out. Yeah, yeah, why yeah. does that matter? Now it matters for a money that can't be confiscated, like you just said, that is uncensorable. And we don't need to go into like exactly why that happens. Like we have like 8,000 other episodes we're recording for that. But it's the basics. I'm still here because 
in a world that is becoming increasingly more divisive, increasingly more unstable, governments are riddled with debt. Mm -hmm. They are raising these rates so fast to get, try and get things under control when their own costs are going through the roof at the same time. The system is on edge and Bitcoin to me is the only viable option and only viable way out. So even though we are at 16K, there is a point where things start breaking either to the upside in, in best case scenario, they break to the upside where they print their way through the turmoil. And we hope it doesn't hyperinflate monetary units throughout the world because that's devastating. I mean, it's a bad scenario. It's devastating, but that is less yeah. devastating than a deflationary collapse. Yeah. And those are both on the table right now. We're at a point in history where those are on the table. Mm -hmm. We're at a point where they're just trying to keep the reins in. You see Japan, we look like we could be Japan in 10, like, 20 years. Yeah, just based on demographics and how we are with debt and what we were doing during COVID in terms of basically printing money and buying our own debt. I so, think I yeah. think Japan's front. Yeah, so just like to kind of wrap me kind of long-winded yeah, yeah, thing no. is just like we're at a point in history where things could fall apart. And to me, this is the only viable it's the only yeah, hope. Yeah. It's, it's the only, the only hope. hope. Yeah, yeah. Where things just like don't look harp. And like me saying this is we're in a point of history. Like this doesn't mean it happens tomorrow. Or it doesn't mean like it happens in the next five years. But it can happen in the next 20, 30 years. And that, and when you're faced with these types of unstable monetary conditions, a credible, neutral, decentralized money with the fixed monetary supply seems like a good place to park cap. Yeah, I couldn't put it better myself. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that's why I'm here. That's why we're still recording. That's why we're still here. I just don't think that things haven't changed fundamentally. Nothing fundamental has changed in regards to what we Our think. Thesis. Yeah. What we think that right. Bitcoin has, you know, ex extraneous things have happened around the market that influence the spot price of Bitcoin. And, you know, those things can have effects on people and you never know what anyone's situation is and what, how that's going to affect them. And I think that's, that's something that for any newcomer coming into the Bitcoin space or crypto, if you need to get into Bitcoin going through general crypto or whatever you're going to do. To find your way here, I think the whole thing is, is that like, be careful, come into this slowly, figure out what you're doing, understand why you're doing it. Don't just dump your entire savings into it immediately because one, you don't know what you're going to need that money for in six months, a year. So I think a lot of people, it's kind of like, Make sure that whatever money that you put into Bitcoin, you don't need for a few years, at least. So I'll say, you know? I'll say this. That's one of the things I think I've learned the most in this bear market is realizing that you don't need to go. I, I And I, I didn't, but it started to, to really hit how many people were so all in and were pushing yeah. this all in narrative. Yeah. There's no reason if before, if you're correct about this Bitcoin thesis, you don't need that much Just Bitcoin. Just relax. You don't need yeah. that much Bitcoin. If the last 
thought of the thesis as global reserve currency, if that's even, if that's possible, right? Which is the entire value of everything in the world is Bitcoin because it backs the entire global economy. You don't need much. You don't need a lot. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So it's a a short time preference thing. Yeah. Yeah. Go all in and put yourself in these positions where you're struggling because the spot market didn't do what you wanted to do this year. Right. So it is a long term thesis. This doesn't have to happen overnight. It doesn't have to happen in the next five years. It doesn't need to happen in the next 10 years. But even if it doesn't happen in the next 10 years, you still have your money, your value in a place that can't be debased in Bitcoin terms and in a place that can't be seized in Bitcoin terms and a place that you could transact peer to peer without any custodial risk if you want. Your only custodial risk is yourself. I mean, that's what it comes that's down to. That's if you to. learn how to self-custody and all that. But we have just seen the real reasons or the real custodial risks in markets. We just saw that over the last year. There is a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're in traditional markets, you just need to know the other risks you're, you're dealing with. Everywhere you have capital, there's risks. And that was probably... The biggest thing that I've learned over the last year is maybe I was over or thinking things were safer than they actually were. For me, I'm like a good Bitcoin. Like I do the the Bitcoin thing. So yeah, like, no, you are. Yeah. So like I protected myself in a, in a lot of ways by never having money on BlockFi, being very against that and thinking through these risks. Bitcoiners do think about a lot of these risks, but like in traditional markets, everyday people don't understand the risks that they assume just by having their money in a bank. Yes. Just having their money in cash. Exactly. They have risks, but they're not thinking about yeah. those risks either. Like obvious risk of having cash is last year we just had 10% inflation. So you just lost 10% of your purchasing power of everyday goods. Where were the best places to put your money besides that? Actually, not that many. <laughs> Literally nowhere. Yeah. I mean. Treasuries. Every, well, treasuries, you lost had, treasuries had their worst right. year ever. On 100%. record. Yeah. So that's the hard part about this type of market that's overinflated. And when the United States is, is written with 130% debt to GDP. So it's just like the reason why I'm here is because I'm trying to assess all the risks and where is the best place to put my time value. But again, I will say like it's okay to buy U.S. Treasury bonds if you want to. It's okay to buy stocks. It's okay to buy a house. It's okay to also buy Bitcoin. It's okay to diversify. You know, like we said, you only need a little bit. Yeah. If if this is going to play out how everyone is saying that it's going to play out, how we think it's going to play out, 21 million Bitcoin divided by 8 billion people, 12 billion people by the time word, however many people are going to be. Well, then it's in perpetuity. So then you have to think about every person that will ever exist after. Yes. Right. So <laughs> that's getting weedy. But yes, you don't need a lot. Like, you know, if you're thinking long term, if you're thinking short term, obviously it's different. Like- if you're trading, it's different. But again, you got to be careful. You can really only put forward what you're able to lose. Think about what your wife would allow you to lose. Make sure she's okay with it. Don't do it behind her back. Not saying that I did. (laughs) I didn't. 
<laughs> but I'm just saying, like, think about that because, you know, it's, I think basically we're. So over the last year, we saw a lot of greed in the market. Yes. And, and a lot of people ruined relationships. Yeah, I'm having a little more. I'm going to give you a little more. People ruined relationships because the spot price of Bitcoin went down due to unexpected events. There's no reason for that, really. But I think we see it again next bull run. Oh, absolutely, bro. <laughs> Without a doubt, it's going to happen again. So it's... we were wrong. Well, I, I, I don't think I was ever a super psycho guy. I did think we were going to get 100K. I was like, pause. Well, you know why we didn't get 100K? Yeah, I do know why. Cause... Because there was so much fucking paper Bitcoin. Well, that and literally everyone thought we were going to get 100K. No, because there was paper <laughs> Bitcoin by FTX. Yeah. They, they literally had no Bitcoin. They were, people were buying Bitcoin on their exchange and they didn't have Bitcoin. That's nuts. Yeah. But at the same time, we also got in, like, I'm trying to also reconcile this because it's impossible to quantify, like how we went so high to, because of all these loans and things. Right. But like, maybe we didn't go like, you know, that blow off top to a hundred or more because we had all this paper Bitcoin that was mm -hmm. observing, absorbing all this buy pressure. Like maybe at first, like we got this run up because like we had so much leverage in the system based off these, using this fake ass collateral to buy Bitcoin, but like, we didn't get that like retail demand blow off toss because all yeah. retail was buying on these exchanges that didn't ever have Bitcoin. Yeah. And we did call a lot of that. We literally wrote articles in February being like, don't use these shitty exchanges. Don't keep your coins on exchanges because <laughs> they don't have your Bitcoin. Guess what? They didn't have your Bitcoin. I mean, I... So, all right. So like... Right now, we're seeing a lot of, we're, I mean, we've been seeing it for a little bit, just like prominent ex-Bitcoin figures calling out maxis, like still saying like, oh, like Bitcoin maxis, ah, uh, you're dumb. But like Bitcoin maxis called a lot of this. They're preaching. That was weird. Religious. But they're preaching the word. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but like that. They a lot of them called a lot of this stuff that everyone was just like saying, "Oh, you're just a dumb max," but like they were right. But the thing is, is that it's really fucking simple. Like the the premise is like really stupid simple, but it's literally like hold your keys, don't sell it, don't buy too much of it that you can't manage to not be liquid stay humble and stack stay humble yes so it comes down to thank you matt odell stay humble and stat sats like yeah it's like weird to me like the hate that a lot of bitcoin maxis getting because like that is ultimately the message but i we've had this conversation too it's like who you're rap wrapping who, into this right who who is what is bitcoin maxi who is the represent there is no representative of it but what is the ideology of the Bitcoin maxi? I mean, there's stupid people on Twitter. Are those people Bitcoin maxis? Well, maybe, but does that make the other person who... Would you consider yourself a 2021 Bitcoin maxi? I mean, I probably. Yeah. 
Yeah. So do you... It's like a dirty word. Do you relate? Yeah. Do you relate with the 2021 Bitcoin maxis you see on Twitter? Fair, you probably did follow a traditional 2021 Bitcoin maxi path. Came in through Hopium and Plan B. I mean, I was I was a little bit before Plan B, but I mean, he obviously pumped me up. Yeah, and like, so I guess, I guess where I'm going with this is uh, I'm just thinking about that. Honestly, I just saw a tweet from Nick Carter. Yes, I, and, uh, I have that one book. We like was going off and saying, I don't even know what he's talking about. Suzu it, whatever. I mean, like that was a dumb one. Basically saying like, oh, Bitcoin maxis are the end of this feels. Yeah, yeah. That was a dumb one. But like, his constant points and like people going against Bitcoin maxis are saying like, if you were a Bitcoin maxi, you're actually, if you're a 2021 Bitcoin maxi, you're underwater for like thinking all these Bitcoin maxi things. Mm-hmm. But how do you feel about that? Like, not bad. true. So I would say that Yes, the amount of money that I've put in in the last two years is obviously underwater. Do you? But do I regret it? Not particularly. Yeah. Would I have done it differently looking back on it? Probably. But how would you have known? But how would I have known? The only way that I would have known, I think, is again, to go back to what we're saying, is that to be careful like take your time it's not as much as the market moves in one direction up or down yeah especially with how volatile bitcoin can be and how it can catch you off sides in either direction it usually reverts back to that in the next couple days i mean just like it's a it's a crazy market you just go slow. Most of us don't know what we're doing in regards to trading or trying to find an entry point. And that's where it comes back to like just doing dollar cost averaging. And I think that's back where it comes. It's yes, it's literally back to the simple so, things. Just remember that you're probably pretty dumb. I mean, honestly, I'm dumb. Yeah, no one be. No one beats the market. I mean, people do. Some people beat the market, but it's not you. (laughs) It's not me. So to take this same question I just gave you, it's like, I don't regret any of the purchases that I've made because fine. Like I'm not, you know, like I'm not on the streets, like begging for money. I'm not like worried about my daily living situation. I manage risks in that way. I still have my job. Like I yeah. hopefully will still have it to the end of this year once we go on our major recession. Yes. Like I wasn't one of those people that, and these are thoughts that, you know, have crossed my head during the bull market was like, oh dude, I should like quit my job and be a Bitcoin job person. Like, you, you no, know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But like, if, that, it's, that's not, that, it's like a fantasy. There's a lot of people that have, that actually did live out that fantasy and like quit their job and like, went all in on Bitcoin. But not only did they, are they all in on their, like, their net worth, but they, their source of income is also linked in to the bull market being on. So I don't, 
I don't, I don't regret it from that standpoint. And then I also don't regret it from the standpoint of like, I've learned more in the last two or almost three years of really being into this shit yeah. than I literally ever have in my whole entire life. The fact that it took me learning about Bitcoin to learn about money is such a weird thing. It's something that you think you know. And like we've talked to well-off older gentlemen that we know and and to family members and whatever that are doing well, but like they literally don't understand money. They don't get it at a core. first principle is core. Yeah. yeah, It's just Bitcoin forces you to really think deeply about that. And just like thinking about those things gives you a different perspective on like, I think. So like, I don't regret even like we're down, whatever. I don't know where I'm at personally, how far down, but even all of that, like it's still worth it coming from that perspective. Then being like, like the, a, the learning like, process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if I was down 50% or whatever, that education is probably worth it versus continuing that ETH head degen ICOs or whatever gambling coming from that perspective that I did. If I was still 2017, me still trying to like, you can trade charts and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Well, that's like, the thing. Like that wouldn't have given me any perspective on the world. It would have just honestly made it worse. Even if I was right. Like making money off that stuff, it would have not been a real, that's how things actually work in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's how, so if we were to ask someone that was all in uh, Cardano, ETH, Tron, whatever it might be, like any of, it's kind of ridiculous to compare those three, but eh, why not? Let's do it. Because at the end of the day, if you were to ask those people, yeah. I think so. People have a similar perspective. They just, there's just some technical. Right? Like, I, I won't speak for every ETH person. It's like, I think Eric Voorhees, for example, or Eric Wall, like, they have a similar, they understand all that, or the world directly. Obviously, I have ETH. Right, 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 right. But I, I feel like. I think, I think a better, just real quick, better yeah. example, it might be like an NFT max. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I still think that, I don't know, for someone holding ETH, it's more of a, anyone come at me if you think I'm wrong. Anyone holding ETH, you're comparing it to a dollar value in the future. I will disagree. You're going to disagree? Okay. So you're comparing it to an ETH value in the future. I think. Because what what I see it as is like, so the. I think some people, yeah. Okay. Not me. But. I don't think. Well, no, no, no I know <laughs> I not you, but I mean. I think some people think ETH is a better currency than Bitcoin. Like okay. that's their position. Okay. A lot of like, uh, we're talking about ETH maxes. Okay. Not like everyday trader people. So there, I, I would think that there's, there's a, the same a, thing with Bitcoin people ton, too. Like a ton more Bitcoin people, people that are invested in Bitcoin that would perceive Bitcoin as a in huge, Bitcoin terms. Sure. Like, they would, they we would. We spent the whole first part of our episode talking about dollar terms. So now we're going to get into Bitcoin terms because this is where, this is where I think things need to shift for Bitcoin to really take its position. It's, it's that mind virus of understanding things in Bitcoin terms. So when I look at, if, if I'm trying to accumulate Bitcoin, I'm looking at, you know, if fucking around, trying to trade or just to try to make more Bitcoin because whatever avenue that you're doing it to get more Bitcoin, 
you're thinking of it as like, all right, well, maybe I had 0.75 Bitcoin before, but now I got up to 0.82. And it's kind of like thinking about in the future, like, you know what I mean? I'm saving for a wedding. I could have bought another 0.5 Bitcoin on this. But it's not, I'm not even talking about it in that regard. Like, like buying it. It's buying because you're adding on to your previous position, which is a slice of the 21 million pot. Right. But okay. So, but I wasn't thinking of it in any way convertible to dark. It's like, you know. Well, I just spent 0.5. Oh, I see what you're saying. Bitcoin on this potential wedding. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's. I see what you're saying. I was coming at it from like a different, the other side of it, like not spending the money, but wiring the money and you know thinking about it like okay yes i've got another slice of that pie and maybe it's worth less in dollar terms but i have more and that's i don't know if that's a i mean i haven't done it with ethereum so i i don't that's something that people think about in that regards ethereum terms but like i i think it's it's definitely a more prevalent thing and and Bitcoin to start to think about value in Bitcoin terms. And that's something that needs to, or I really think for adoption to take hold worldwide is for things to shift into thinking about things in Bitcoin terms. How much does this cost me in Bitcoin? You know, we're way we're, we're, that. we're so far away. We're far away, but I'm saying, I think for things to, to get to that point, where we see it become a world reserve currency or a world reserve asset or some type of thing like that. That's the, the psychological change that would need to take place for that to even exist. Sure. So I don't know if this is like a weird thing to say, but like for Bitcoin to succeed, it doesn't need to be the global reserve currency. Right. Okay. In my mind, it obviously needs to have a little bit more adoption. But like, if it's just like eight times the gold market cap. I mean, that would be $80 trillion. Okay. <laughs> that would be a lot. No, no. But like, even if it's gold market cap or like higher is kind of what I'm saying. It's like, I don't think that's a failure at all. Like yeah. if it's just that, you know what I mean? If it's just like a means to, for high, like value transfer, mm-hmm. right? I've been thinking about, and I've always been thinking about lightning a lot, but like, there's not that much Bitcoin on lightning. No. There's only like 3,000 Bitcoin on lightning. Yeah. It's terribly so it's small. Like, so like, and that's supposed to be like for everyone to use. Like, I don't think Bitcoin fails, and I don't know if this is a weird thing to say. I don't think Bitcoin fails if lightning doesn't most, succeed. If lightning doesn't succeed, or if most people can't use it. Yeah. Which is like an antithesis of what a lot of people preach is like peer-to-peer, everyone, global reserve currency. But like, it doesn't need to be that for it to succeed. That is that is like the ultimate vision. And that's like best case scenario. It requires so many things to happen for that to happen. But yeah, I don't yeah. think Bitcoin fails in any way. If it's just like a gold market cap size or higher, and it's just a means for high net worth individuals to trade high value transfer on main chain. 
But it also doesn't even have to be, I mean, if it only gets to gold value, it doesn't even have to be high net worth. I mean, it's, it's literally just allows. No, it has to be. Because to be. if we're talking about long-term, like keeping blocks going, like you have to transfer a lot of value for miners to make enough money to keep the lights on. Okay. Long-term. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking like way out. Okay. But in that case, if that starts happening and it's like countries are like, then like you, you're going to get, yeah. you're going to get adoption on other ways. And like you have the Fetty Mints and people start using semi-custodial situations to transact Bitcoin. Like that's, that's how I view it. But like, I, 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 I don't think it's a failure if it is not the global reserve. Print. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I see what you It's a failure if blocks stop producing. Right. That's a failure. And for that to happen, there needs to be meaningful adoption. Or like for that not to happen, there needs to be meaningful adoption. Right. There's no other way around it. Right. I've been getting into it with some people on Twitter. Oh, dude, this whole narrative about the fee spiral. It's been like marketed through like crazy. I don't know why. Well, wasn't we've it? talked about this. On yeah. The episode. Like, I mean. We've been talking about this for almost six, seven, or, or like eight months now. So. I mean, wasn't it before that fees were too high back in 2017? Now they're too low. Too and no so one is using it. No but like, using. if you actually look at volume, Bitcoin volume, Bitcoin volume has consistently been up. Yeah. But why are fees down? Oh, because we had SegWit. Because SegWit just, adoption went through the roof. We didn't have it before, so fees were heavy and people were spamming the chain back in 2017. And I have Lightning, which doesn't account for much, but at least it takes a little bit. Pay a little I bit mean, off. Now you also have like, you can physically transfer open dines. I saw some like BS story. It had to be BS. It was, it was like, oh, something about a Mexican cartel <laughs> have 82 million on an open dime that they just physically transfer back and forth. <laughs> <if you will. laughs> it's hilarious. And some of the first comment was like, uh, I bet his girlfriend also goes to the other high school. <laughs> uh, that's absurd. Yeah. But uh, like, in theory, yeah, that you could, could do that. that. Could eradicate yeah. a lot of pressure on main chain. Yeah, but that introduces obviously a lot of risk and literally physically getting robbed. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a problem there. Yeah. But I do think that lightning is a huge factor going forward in the potential transition to a world reserve. So if we're gonna get to that point, yeah, lightning is necessity. I. But I, so I think last year we were super hyped on things that you could do on lightning and I'm like less hype. And we wrote articles about like impervious and like <laughs> all this yeah, like yeah, yeah. layer three shit. It's like so unnecessary. Doesn't need to happen on lightning. There's no reason for it to happen on lightning. There's I, so many things that don't need to happen. There's only a few things that need yeah, to happen. I hate stable coins on lightning. I was thinking through it. Well, it's, so it's during our last episode. It's like it's I what hate we were talking idea. with Alex B with like, like what's the point? It's the same thing as doing it on Tron or yeah. Ethereum or whatever it exactly. might be. Just do it on Who those. Cares? You don't need it on Bitcoin. I don't want. I don't want all it. All it is is for the Moon Boys to say, "Hey, we pumped some price because we got some more action on our chain." Yeah, that's all it is. I don't like it. Like you could just do the strike model. Yeah, which is like. Basically, they're just using Bitcoin to get Bitcoin from A to B and then 
trading that instantly yeah. into people's accounts. It's just in other countries. It's just they build a, a relationship with a bank in that country, but it's uh, still there's still custodial risks there. Yes, on of the course. edges, but like yeah. that's you still have custodial risks with stablecoins, and that's the same Lightning. thing. So yeah, it comes back to like why don't we just use, use Bitcoin to use stablecoins if you want that, or just use Bitcoin? Like I guess the argument is like ah, Bitcoin is more secure, like. There's there's one less risk. Like yeah. you're not gonna have reorgs of like main chain Bitcoin. So like shit like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. So no stable foot. <laughs> we don't like stable coins. Oh, no, I'm cool with stable coins. On yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah, on Bitcoin. I'm cool. With... I don't have anything else. Yeah, I think we're good. I'm a uh, couple too many whiskeys. <laughs> <laughs> so. Very, we didn't stay on topic on any. Not at all. Yeah. All over the place. All right. This is, is the, all? this is the every man Bitcoin podcast where we just bullshit. Yeah. This is a good bullshitting podcast. I think it's a good one to come back to after we had a six month or a five month hiatus. So let's, let's see if we can get a recap. All right. All right. So we got grayscale with the arbitrage led to the 3AC and Luna collapse, which then led to, I mean, we're just going to summarize, which then led to BlockFi basically going under, which then led to FTX pulling them out of that, which then led to FTX eventually going under along with Val or excuse Voyager. And G's probably not far behind Genesis. Gemini might not be far behind. We'll see what happens there. So basically we wiped the leverage out of the system. We found our potential bottom at 15.5. We're ripping up today, Today, which is Friday the 13th. The 13th. Holy shit. That's weird. <laughs> We've touched over 21 after just recently being around 16.8. Things might be moving. We've touched on... Now, how things have played out over this past year and where we might be going. I think we might potentially see equities fall further. We might see crypto markets push up further. Who knows? Stay tuned. We'll see you next week. I think this is a good first episode back. We just like had a eclectic bullshit episode. We had a decent recap of last year, our feelings towards it. And we'll be back with more structured episodes after after this one but yeah it was, i mean i had a good time good feedback recording talking about our bitcoin feelings yeah sign us off that all right this is dap big burn peace